This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to episode 14 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. Today, we'll be discussing chapters 9 and 10, and to celebrate reaching the halfway point of the book, I have a couple of guests with me. Uh, Hi, guys. Please welcome to the show, John and Maggie. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you? Hello, listeners. We are the hosts of Married with Comics and also The Rod Pod, both of which are found under the Married with Comics umbrella, as it were, at marriedwithcomics.libson.com. The Rod Pod's where we talk about IDW Transformer stuff. And Married with Comics is where we talk about everything else. Mm-hmm. I love it. You guys have been bringing back childhood memories of Transformers, which I haven't watched since I was probably in single-digit age. And I've been listening to that like... <laughs> bringing people to tears was why we went into podcasting in the first place we just wanted to make people cry (laughs) and we all share a love of batman so that's what brings us all together Mm -hmm. indeed all right anything we want to add before we get started or ready to dive right in we can dive right in i'm ready to dive chapter nine starts on page 69 dudes so (laughs) i had to get a little ted reference in there (laughs) They started filming. There's pictures. What? Yes. Yeah, there's a picture of them running out of a out of a telephone booth. Out of the booth. Mm-hmm. Are they making a new Bill and Ted? Oh, you, oh, didn't, you didn't know? know? Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah. It's it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's it's uh, this is seriously happening. It's about uh, Bill and Ted realize that they uh, they've grown to middle age and they haven't written their song that that saves the world yet, and now they suddenly have 24 hours to do so. Or the oh, world boy. will end. And they've got they've got daughters. They have daughters, yes. Yeah, and they've got daughters, too, now. Wow. Yes. They just started filming, like, yesterday, day before, yeah. like, very recent. Nice. I've been focused so much on them ma- remaking The Stand that all other things have kind of... Plus Spider-Man coming out today. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta see that. It's a good time to be a geek. No kidding. <laughs> all right. Chapter 9, Scene 1. Not another word was exchanged between the two men for several hours. Then, as night descended on Wayne Manor, its owner descended to the Batcave. Alfred watched him go, his noble face expressionless. More hours passed. In his private suite of rooms, Alfred sat before a magnificent zebra wood desk, running his left hand gently over the inlaid top of black-veined, dark green marble as his right hand cradled his jaw. His deep-set, hazel eyes had that particular glaze produced by focus on the middle distance. With the exception of the gentle rhythmic movements of his left hand, to an observer he might have been cast in stone. In the Batcave, 
A man caught between states of being sat in the same position. The man wore the Batman's costume, but with the cowl retracted so that his head was bare. The final stage in the transformation from dilettante to vigilante, the specially designed gloves of titanium mesh laced inside fireproof fabric, lay untouched on the clear Lexan surface of the utility table. The man's normally blue eyes were fixed in the same middle-distance stare as Alfred's, but this halfway man's eyes were obsidian, reflecting all, revealing nothing but that reflection. Hours pass before Alfred comes back to himself, exhausted but resolute. He remembers something his father said to him many years ago. A man must stand. Be he the first to stand or the last, a man must stand. And if there is only one man, then that man must stand alone. The old butler stands and walks stiffly to a cherrywood bookcase. He grabs one of the lower shelves and pulls upward. It requires all his strength. For several moments, nothing happens. But then an empty section of the bookshelf rotates, revealing the most <laughs> goddamn extra cribbage board on earth. This, I forgot to let that in there. <laughs> this thing is made with the best craftsmanship you have ever seen. Bone white wood with a slight yellow cast, which is actually hand-carved ivory. Alfred opens the hinge box and withdraws a handful of playing pegs, also carved from ivory. Half were tipped in rubies, the other half in emeralds, because of course. Each crafted so minutely that only a sense of the color is experienced. The actual microgems cannot be seen with the naked eye. This cribbage board will allow you to score 19 points with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cribbage joke. Uh, well, <laughs> that's Very niche audience. Sorry. <laughs> From inside a liquor cabinet, Alfred withdraws a velvet pad of royal purple. He lays the pad on the desk and places the cribbage board upon it, then begins to arrange the playing pegs with the precision of a neurosurgeon. Finally, Alfred inserts one more peg, and as soon as the tiny peg locks in, a thin tray pops out of one side of the board. The tray contains a key. <laughs> the key turns to set off an elaborate Rube Goldberg device which catches a mouse from across the room. <laughs> no. Alfred takes the key from the most goddamn extra hiding spot for a key, goes to his bedroom, and pulls on the left bedpost. Previously invisible seams open, revealing a keyhole. He inserts the key, turns it, pulls upward, and extracts a long metal cylinder. He closes the bedpost and goes back to his study, where he opens the cylinder with something like a religious rite. A tightly rolled tube of papers emerges, which Alfred lays flat on the desk and anchors at the corners with paperweights. Next, he opens a slim black aluminum attache case. He inserts the papers into it, face down, checking for precise alignment. Once this is done, he connects a plug from the case into a wall socket. Alfred presses a button, and a faint humming fills the room. Tiny wisps of fog come through pores in the case. The humidity acts as a restorative for the papers, which were not of archival quality. Alfred is unwilling to trust them to a photocopier. This preservation restoration box is one of a kind. Now, over the years, Alfred has done this many times. Each previous time, when finished, he'd returned the papers to their hiding place. But this time... 
Alfred stands holding the newly rejuvenated papers in his hands for several minutes. Then he leaves the room. Our notes. So, I don't see that Alfred is a big believer in Heideki. <laughs> so I'd hate to know what happens if they ever accidentally lock the door to Wayne Manor and I just imagine like a fake log in the front garden somewhere <laughs> with the key to Wayne Manor stuck up in Which Bruce has just done in Alfred's size every time he goes for it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a pretty hardcore way to hide a key, but I will bring into question the Wayne's owning ivory. What, are you kidding? It's, it's at least as old as, old as Thomas and Martha, and they probably hunted their own elephants. I, I'm saying that's <laughs> the problem. You don't have ivory. That's not politically correct. I did put a boo next to the mention of ivory yeah. in my Thank you. notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll just say that it, it's been passed down from his great-great-great-grandfather. Who was given the ivory... Um, for free from an elephant who just gave that it died to him. of natural causes, yes. happy oh, no. of old age, and he willed it to him. Yes. I really hope that that's true. It is. It's a yes. book. It can be anything it, you want. True. Uh, Batman trivia for you though. Alfred's father's name. I know this. Oh, he has a dad. Yes, you're not going to believe this. It's but an Alfred. It, it is not. Oh, okay. It is Jarvis. Oh. yeah. Nice. Jarvis Pennyworth is his father's name. Mentioned Another couple- perfect butler name. Exactly. Yes. His father is presumably was named Jeeves. Jeeves, exactly, <laughs> yes. But, yeah. I mean, Jarvis Pennyworth, it doesn't get any more British than that. <laughs> Except maybe Benedict Cumberbatch. Right, but he gets a pass because he's perfect. Yeah. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is at the, the peak, at the pinnacle. You cannot possibly get more British than that without being royalty. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Well done on the British accent, by the way. Oh, thanks. You sounded very passably British. That's (laughs) that's what I was trying to do, just having it up in. But most of my notes are saved for the next section. Okay. (laughs) In which I have several. But this is a. Considering what is in this, which we'll get to. It's just weird that, that that it had all of this elaborate things, not only to get the key, but then to get the actual items, and then this preservation method. And having this spe- the one-of-a-kind archival case, mm-hmm. or the attache, did he go to Lucius Fox and say, Lucius, I must preserve these papers. Make something for me, but don't tell Bruce. <laughs> sounds sounds, sounds legit, Jeeves. <laughs> I was wondering if that's like a real thing that exists archival paper no oh the restoration box thingy like is that an actual device or is this just another cool technology bit from the bat cave that vax has created it's a it's a smaller version of a humidor i've seen something i've seen the principle that they're doing okay i'm Mm -hmm. i might be talking out of my ass but i did um i did some stuff where we would look into archives and they had a lot of things that had to be kept humid in. Well, no, right. No, I understand. I, I, I know. I just haven't heard of ever, like, a, a portable one in an attache case, but... Yeah, I mean, there might be some, like, in very specialized preservation, conservation type of things where maybe they have to travel to... Right. You know, I took some archive classes in my librarianship classes, 
so I just know a little bit, but one thing I would tell Alfred is don't roll them up tightly mm-hmm. in a little yes. cylinder. Like lay them flat somewhere in a cool room, less than sixty degrees, and ke- you know keep an eye on the humidity. There's no reason for this James Bond shit. I know. <laughs> He's I mean, worried just... about the quality of the paper. Exactly. I mean, this is Wayne Manor. There's like at least eighty rooms that Bruce has never been in. <laughs> he could just leave it lying lying flat on a table somewhere, and Bruce would never see it. He never. Le- he barely leaves the no. Batcave. It's one part I loved about the 89 Batman when we did the commentary, because I hadn't seen it since it was on VHS tape, and we get to the scene with Vicky and Bruce on that long table, and she's like, do you like eating in here? Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever been in here before. And I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he could probably literally put this out on a, a hallway table, and, and Bruce would never find it. Um, My <sighs> question, though, is... And we haven't gotten to the part where we find out what these papers are that Alfred has mishandled throughout the years. Um, (laughs) But why does he want to keep them such a secret? I was curious about that as well. It seems like, especially since, you know, we can say that Bruce Wayne is at least, what, mid-20s here? Mm -hmm. If perhaps older. I I can see, like, okay, I'm keeping this from him until maybe he's 18 or, or 20, until he figuring out what it is to be an adult. Especially the moment that Bruce lets Alfred in on the whole, I'm going to put on a costume and have a secret identity. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of your mother. Uh, Right. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get to that. (laughs) Oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Chapter 9, Scene 2. Even in that psycho-emotional borderland between alternate states of consciousness... The Batman possessed a sense of his surroundings so delicate that it could detect the slightest molecular shifts in the empty air. A motion sensor so refined it exceeded the abilities of any device known to science. Even seated at his desk with his back to the elevator entrance to the Batcave, he could feel the presence of another. Yet his psyche was unalarmed. It could only be Alfred. With an effort of will, the Batman turned his head, watching his old friend, his oldest friend, approach. Unable to speak, the unmasked face raised an eyebrow, asking, Why? Not, why are you here, but, why am I? Alfred had been non-verbally asked the same question many times over the years. In the past, he had been content to pat the Batman on the shoulder and assure him that, someday, all would be known to him. Such a gesture was not the hollow placation of an uninvolved parent dealing with a questioning child, It was a sacred promise from a friend who knew the truth. A true friend who would, someday, share that truth. Seemingly knowing immediately what Alfred is speaking of, Batman's eyes snap into focus, become burning cobalt. Batman asks, How should I? One hand on the mask, the other near the Velcro closure of the costume. Alfred endorses neither Bruce Wayne nor Batman, replying, Stay as you are. This is for all of you. In a rare moment of uncertainty, Batman tentatively follows Alfred to a section of the Batcave that Bruce himself never enters alone. It's set aside for the times Alfred serves as mid-mission communications and information link, sometimes for days at a time. Where the rest of the Batcave is ultra-modern, this section is a throwback to the last century. It has a pair of old oxblood leather easy chairs on a rug of red and gold. There is a white marble fireplace and an old-fashioned floor lamp with a Tiffany shade standing next to one chair. The other chair has a matching ottoman. 
Clearly, one chair is for reading while the other is for Alfred to catch a quick nap while waiting for the next contact from Batman, confirmed by a dark blue wool afghan draped on the ottoman. Alfred indicates for Batman to sit at the chair with the reading lamp. Once the Batman is seated, Alfred speaks. I know you are in pain. It is time you know the cause, the root cause. Depression is no stranger to you, I know. And I know how these forays into child abuse investigation have troubled you so deeply. It has all come together, as I knew it some day would. It is all connected, and you are the center. He hands a thick sheaf of papers to Batman. The Batman's eyes flick over the tiny, precise handwriting, asking whose investigator's journal it is. Your mother's. It is time you knew, not just what she did, but what she was. Read it. Read it all. I'll be right here. When you're finished, I will answer any questions that you have. <sighs> Batman's costume has Velcro in it. <laughs> so high tech. That was, yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, that was my thought. I, I can just see him shooting his grappling hook and swinging valiantly to rescue and you just hear (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) well because that stuff wears out you got to replace velcro after a while (laughs) i knew i should have gotten the eyelets yeah (laughs) (laughs) those button hooks I wonder how his batman is supposed to look if he's basing him off of the movie batman or or the batman in the comics or the Adam West Batman, you know, if it's like a gray shirt with a blue c- oh, cape, or if it's all black. So. Oh, it could be if it's more of the like the unarmored, like kind of like Adam West type stuff. I can see that being held together with some Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking also maybe like Catwoman's cat suit. It's just skin tight leather with a Velcro closure in the back. <laughs> Every night before he goes out as Batman, Alfred has to stand there with a paintbrush and paint his costume. <laughs> 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 Stand still, sir. (laughs) Try not to sweat tonight, so you know it makes it run. (laughs) (laughs) So problematic. Poor Alfred, sitting for days at a time alone in the Batcave, not really being able to leave in case Batman has a state of emergency, so... Is he just peeing over the side of the like, into an abyss? <laughs> I like to think there's an armoire with a with like a bidet hidden in it or something for him to use. I do. Vox has a pretty interesting imagination when it comes to the Batman's wonderful toys and and various things that he does. I've liked the way he's described that and and inter- like his obstacle course uh, mm-hmm. morning regiment. Um, or, mm-hmm. or morning exercise regiment that involves you know, going through a giant gerbil maze. <laughs> With the slanted roof so he can like practice cave wall climbing stuff mm-hmm. and he does meditation and he's got a very healthy lifestyle aside from getting the crap kicked out of him by mm-hmm. bad guys, but you know. But it's yeah. nice to know Alfred appreciates the finer things when he has to be <laughs> when he has to be penny one for like a week. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I'm gonna be sitting in a bloody good chair if that's the case. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want an Afghan blue wool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do really like the that he puts the effort into creating these these gadgets because I didn't get to see that so much in the novelization, and it just 
it's more there for the action. Yeah. But when he was talking about the Batmobile and some of his gadgets, his telemetry, looking into the prison, I'm like, okay, we're getting Gadget Batman, we're getting Detective Batman. I do like that. Detective yeah. Batman is something we don't see enough of. I agree. I don't think we get enough Detective Batman. Part of that's in a completely different conversation, but I think part of that is once Batgirl became Oracle, she kind of took over that role. Oh, I can in see the Bat that. Family. Mm-hmm. And now that mm-hmm. she's Batgirl again, it, he hasn't quite moved back. It, the Batman is a complete badass with a plan for everything. Batman is Grant Morrison's, Grant Morrison's Batman. Bad <laughs> the bad no, god, yeah. That's the one people like. But you, stu- you still get um, the occasional story where he's doing detective things, and that's the, nice. The I Know Your Secret with the Martians. That's, mm, that's so good. You'll get there someday, Lane. You've got to read that. <laughs> it's so good. The Bat God is, is incredible. But we do tend to get a lot more punchy, punchy Batman than any other Batman mm-hmm. right now. But yeah, something you were saying a, a bit ago, Lane, just reminded me of something. When it comes to the writing, the, the writing itself of this book compared to the novelization... In the novelization, it was all about just describing enough so that your brain would fill in the details, which, and that was on purpose because they had, were, were writing from the shooting script in a lot of cases and didn't have a visual reference when they started for everything. So, right. whereas this one is very, very visual. Mm-hmm. This is, this guy, um, I want Vax to run a D&D game. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to know the room I'm in when he describes it and where everything is. And so. probably the dimensions. Yeah. Yes. And everything. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that comes from his uh, years of being a, a Manhattan attorney and, and doing all these things with the social work. He's like, okay, I want all my ducks in a row. When I go into a courtroom, I have to have everything and know where it is. And I believe it. When I, I went to a school for paralegal studies, and mm-hmm. I took some law classes, and one of the classes you have to take is legal writing. And my instructor was an English major uh, for his undergrad before he went to law school. And then the first day, he said... Okay, now forget everything you've ever learned about how to write a good sentence, because we're not doing creative writing here. Legal writing is short declarative sentences. It's Mm -hmm. C-spot, C-spot, run. And there is some of that in Vax's writing. It kind of seems like someone who doesn't get to use a lot of descriptors very often, who suddenly does. So mm-hmm. sometimes I find the writing style is a little stilted, but I, I kind of giggle because I think I kind of know where that's coming from. <laughs> it's just a very specific style of writing. When you're doing legal writing, you've got to get your point across. Yeah. You know, you don't need the flowery stuff. You've just got it. You have to tell a story, but not with too many adjectives, definitely not with adverbs and things like that. So it's, uh, I, I find it to be an, an enjoyable writing style. It's kind of reflective of Batman and Gotham City in its way. Mm-hmm. It's it's not pretty, kind of like a, a Jeep. There, there's no smooth curves. It's not an attractive vehicle, but damn, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Go- Gotham is definitely rough around the edges, but it has an elegance of its own. And I think right. Vax's writing style kind of has that same thing. I think Vax gets Gotham. I, Vax, I mean, everybody, every writer always adds their own take on Gotham, and his is Gotham-y enough. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see him writing a fairy tale like a princess and the frog story, but Gotham, perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> Chapter 9, Scene 3. Hour after hour slipped by. If the seated figure was aware of this, he gave no sign. Alfred occasionally arose from his own chair sometimes to work the kinks out of his legs, sometimes to bring a glass of water to the seated figure. The Batman sipped from the water glass unconsciously, not aware he was doing so, 
as totally absorbed in the papers before him as a heat-seeking missile locked onto its target. The seated figure's breathing dropped into pre-combat mode, slow, measured, and deep. He read as though each word were a multifaceted diamond, holding them up to the light one at a time, observing the refraction, the color, the depth, squeezing every drop from the precious link to his mother, a link that spanned the chasm between then and now. Okay, the Batman has the ability to alter his neuromuscular system, producing in himself the same effect as a normal person would get from eight hours of sleep. He reads the pages, rereads them, careful to keep them in their original order as the pages are not numbered. Outside, day becomes night once again. Inside, the seated figure connects his mother's life to his own. Finally, he puts the pages down, his face relaxed, his eyes closed. Alfred watched the sleep trance, watched as he had watched the boy, the teenager, and the man, watched with the patience that had allowed him to wait almost thirty years for the single moment. It is never truth that determines the course of history, Alfred mused to himself. It was the effect of truth on those who acted and, in turn, they upon it. In another few hours, he would have the answer. So, okay, Bruce is nearing 30. Or 40, if you're figuring okay. he was nine years old. Yes, when, yeah. Oh, probably he's, if he was waiting for, it allowed him to wait almost 30 years for the single moment. So it depends on at what point he had this got this information but it seems logical that it would be after his parents were killed because martha wouldn't bring why, would, why did you say that name I'm waiting <laughs> <laughs> he's like waiting for you know baby bruce wayne to come home from the hospital and alfred's just like one day i will reveal your mother <laughs> <laughs> so i figure it'll be yeah, you know, after the Waynes were were killed. But my comfort in my comfort zone, and this has been youthified a lot lately. But Superman is should be about thirty, and Batman should be about forty or twenty nine and thirty nine, if you will. Batman, mm-hmm. I think, is just at the point he hasn't lost a step yet, but he's not going to get any better than he is, and yeah. he's been doing it for a while. I like the idea that he's hard around the edges and grizzled. Whereas Superman is a little younger, and he, therefore, his optimism is still allowing to. Which is funny because Spooperman, because Superman came first. (laughs) Yes, Spooperman. Spooperman. He did. I mean, only by a year, but still. I was going to ask, since you had some experience with creative writing, is it true that the Oxford comma really kind of came into being specifically for legal writing? Probably, I. And I am someone who adheres quite rigidly to the Oxford comma. Same. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to list three things or more, use the Oxford comma. That is my understanding as to where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. A professor of mine said that in, in the, but she has an English background, not a law background, but it made sense to me. She said in some legal writing, if you leave out the Oxford comma, if you say, you know, this money goes to Tom, comma, Dick, comma, and Harry, if you leave out the second comma, half the money goes to Tom and the other half goes to Dick and Harry. Dick and Harry, yeah. I could see where a lawyer might per- be persnickety and say, ah, if this isn't clear, so this can be interpreted in this way. Yeah. I wonder, I can believe that it was created as a form of making a sentence, or especially a list of things in a sentence, more precise. That makes right. sense to me. Is this last bit you read, was that uh, quoted from the book or was it paraphrased? It was quoted, the last little paragraph. 
Because I was just looking at his comma usage in that, and now I'm fascinated, and we're going to have to go back and look at this because it, it, it is never truth that determines the course of history, comma, Alfred mused to himself, double dash. It was the effect of truth on those who acted and, comma, in turn, comma, they upon it. All exactly proper. Yeah, and the grammar Nazi in me appreciates it. I know. That is, that is something else. Because that would have been the sort of thing. Well, I guess if he's trying to mimic Alfred's sense of precision. Alfred is so proper, he thinks with semicolons. Yes. Exactly. He thinks grammatically correctly. Yes. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, so what do you guys think of the Batman having this ability to alter his neuromuscular system to mimic the effect of getting eight hours of sleep? Because I'm Batman! <laughs> Pretty much. I think he can do it because he's Batman. I don't know if that's a real thing, but sure. Or definitely not something he would do, but would be able to do on a regular basis, because you know he would do that. He's like, if I don't have to sleep, I can fight more crime. Oh, he does that all the time. <laughs> he does true. that all the time. <laughs> Vox is obviously has some sort of, or uh, views the Batman's abilities as being, uh, like, super chi, super... <laughs> His, mm-hmm. his chi is as such advanced that he's able to do video game stuff with it. Yeah, like in one of the last chapters, he was talking about, you know, focusing his chi, but then it got, I'm like, okay, yeah, I I got that. I studied Qigong, Tai Chi, Aikido. I felt the little ball of heat and had pretty cool things happen. But even I still don't believe it would deflect a bullet, but, you know, who knows? It's Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he was just willing the bullet to move away. He's, his force of will, like, talk about a Green Lantern. Holy smokes. There's, that's an Elseworld. I know. Batman doesn't carry yeah. the Green Ring. He doesn't need it. It's Emerald Knight, I think, with a K. I actually just started, like, really delving into the comics on the DC Universe. I bought an e-reader so I could, hmm. you know, curl up in bed. And I jumped to Killer Croc's first appearance. Because I kept hearing people talking about, like, how cool he was as kind of like a gangster and not this animal. I'm like, that really was kind of cool. I like the early Killer Croc a lot better than how he eventually gets. I like him as just a gangster with a skin condition. It's mm-hmm. wait, That's what he was. It was, And he was a, more of a Dick Tracy-style freak than, a, oh, okay. than some alligator man. Okay. Yeah, and he was really... He did his gangster type of stuff, but he also didn't have any loyalties to them. When he saw Batman escaping out a door, he's just like, yeah. More power to you. Whatever. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell the other people that, hey, Batman's getting away. He's just like, I'm above it. Yeah. Um, one interesting scene, is, and this is getting off topic, but Batman stumbles upon Killer Croc's home. And it was very pristine and very, very homey. I read this issue. And when Killer Croc, he comes home and Batman's just sitting in his armchair. <laughs> and Croc loses his sh- they're just basically saying, you know, this was my house, this was my space, and you've ruined it by being here. And I'm like, I, I really want to learn more about this character, but I know, unfortunately, he doesn't stay like that. But he, that the only time in this series so far that he loses his cool was when he feels like his safe space was violated. Hmm. It's really and neat. I, I need to go back and read that, because a- Andrew Leyland did a, a bit about King Killer Croc on one of his shows. Andrew Leyland. Andrew <laughs> <Leyland>. <laughs> I love Andrew Leyland. I know. <laughs> I'm not going to try a North uh, British accent (laughs) because I just sound like I'm aping Doctor Who or the Doctor, (laughs) the Ninth Doctor. Cool. Cool. Have you ever seen Uh, the museum grade 
paper. It's really cool. It feels yeah. weird. I I took a, a rare books class up at OSU and got to hold books that were bound in pigskin. Wow. So it actually felt a lot like old human flesh. Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, the Necromicron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my first thought, too. <laughs> and it was just so fun going through because with uh, the really rare manuscripts, they would go through page by page and any little mark, they would document it so if it were ever stolen, they could say, hey, on this page, on this side of the page, there was a squash spider. Literally that type <laughs> sure. of detail. So cool. it was really fascinating. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool class. Lee Iacocca yeah. died. Lee Iacocca died? Yes. Okay. He was the Good to know. the creator of the must the Ford Mustang and the founder and the CEO of Dodge then or of Chrysler eventually. I know from Lee oh, Iacocca. I'm sorry the way you I didn't. Sounded, okay. Oh, did you not? Yay! <laughs> well, he's dead. Only man one of you. <laughs> well, he's dead now. All right, we'll be Red Bick. We'll take a promo break here, and when we return, we'll start chapter ten. True crime fans, have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at WineandCrimePodcast.com. Cheers! Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Oh, well, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married, we change our names, we combine our comic collections, we start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> it goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um, <laughs> and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys <laughs> in an A brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. A brainwave camera. Oh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast, where two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. 
Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marriedwcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. Welcome back, folks. Chapter 10 starts on page 77. Chapter 10, scene 1. This scene is dialogue heavy. John, Maggie, please come to the stage for... Rest in Peace Theodore is proud to present That Time Alfred and Bruce Have a Chat. Can I... I'm alright, Alfred. The information was just too much. It overcramped my circuits, that's all. I understand, Master Bruce. Do you, my old friend? Can you tell me, then? Is it all true? Without question. My mother was an investigative sociologist. She was. Have you read... No, I have not. Yet you know what they contain. Some of it. That was not the point, however. Your mother entrusted me with her journals, and with that trust came a pledge. A pledge of honor. I was to place the journals in your hands. In your hands, and no one else's, no matter what. But when... The timing was to be my choice. If your mother lived, she would make that choice. If she did not, it was up to me. Not to my father? No. Did you know what she was investigating when she died? Yes, I knew quite well. It was the single topic that consumed your mother for many years. My mother... All these years I had no sense of her, just memories, baking cookies, reading me stories. I I thought she was a a housewife. She was a housewife, Master Bruce, but that was never all she was. Alfred, these journals, they seem unbelievable to me. My my mother was investigating an international ring of pedophiles. These organizational charts... Look, it was a perfect pyramid, a typical organized crime monolith. See here... This is how they produced the child pornography. My mother traced it all up from the roots. The procurers, the photographers, the developers, the printers, the distributors, everything. She used the classic follow-the-dollars investigative technique. That technique was hardly classic when your mother used it. In fact, I believe the technique is one of your mother's great contributions to the investigative profession. I never knew. Your mother did not want you to know, Master Bruce. She was in a situation of great personal danger. Targets of her investigation would stop at nothing to neutralize her. In fact, her disguise was similar to your own. As the public thinks of Bruce Wayne as a playboy, the same public thought of your mother as, as you put it, a housewife. But didn't my father... You've read the newspaper accounts of their murder many times, Master Bruce. How are your parents described? As... Dr. and Mrs. Thomas Wayne. Yes, I understand what you mean now. It was as though she had a life only as a wife. I suppose that was common back when I was born. But these papers, what she was doing, it seems so... Dangerous? Yes, very dangerous. Your mother knew the dangers, Master Bruce. She was a woman of great courage, and she would not be deterred from her mission. 
But if she knew who was responsible... She knew some of the people. Your mother was the first to understand the organizational capabilities of child molesters and others who prey upon children. The world viewed such despicable creatures as isolated aberrations. Your mother was the first to link child molestation with organized crime. You mean like narcotics or loan sharking, labor racketeering? No, Master Bruce. The pedophile syndicates were more concerned with their personal pleasures. It apparently took quite a few of them to manufacture and distribute their filth. How did she... She did it all. She interviewed the child victims. She placed ads in the underground newsletters. She made undercover purchases. She paid some of the offenders for their information. She had a network of her own. A network of like-minded people around the world. Just as the pedophiles had constructed their networks, your mother and her colleagues were tracking them. Where would she find the victims? I thought all the child abuse records were confidential. Master Bruce, at the time your mother was doing her investigations, there was no child abuse registry. The more egregious cases were referred to the police. And the rest were... Ignored. People your age take things like a child abuse hotline for granted. But if it wasn't for courageous people like your mother, those things wouldn't exist. I understand. But I still don't see where she could find child abuse victims to interview. How could she... Your mother always said that if you wanted to interview victims of child abuse, all you had to do was drive up to Belladonna Farms. The Institution for Juvenile Delinquents? But... Master Bruce, all you have before you are your mother's investigative journals. Those are field notes, not operational theory. Your mother's thesis was that there is no biogenetic code for criminality. She always maintained that you cannot control who you are, but you have the ultimate decision-making power over what you are. I'm not certain that... Behavior is truth, the ultimate truth. You are what you do. Children are born with different genetic allotments, from the color of their eyes to their intellectual capacity, but the rest is what they themselves contribute. The worst thing about the abuse of children is that it robs the victims of some of that capacity. Your mother also said that today's victim could be tomorrow's predator unless we intervene properly. She was talking about children, Master Bruce. So my mother was a... Crime fighter. A crime fighter with a secret identity. Bravo. You guys did great. Thanks. Especially with having that huge chunk thrown at you. So thank you so much for doing that. Heck yeah. That's fun. <laughs> I can see you, John, kind of like biting back some stuff. As you were. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for, before we get to that, man, Alfred interrupts Bruce a lot. <laughs> it's like he has, Bruce ba- barely finished like three sentences in that whole thing, and it's like, Master Bruce, I'm talking here. <laughs> Your mother was a superwoman who, un- who instead of F- Elliot Ness, came up with following the money. No. <laughs> well, where should we start with this one? There's a lot of unpacking in this little section here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I felt... You know, I was, I was trying to find a, a cutoff spot because usually I just do a portion of the dialogue. And I'm like, there's so much here and so much that's kind of important to the thesis of this this book that I couldn't really find a good place to cut off. And I'm like, John and Maggie can handle it. I'll just give them the whole thing. Yeah, we're professionals. That's why we make the big bucks. Right. <laughs> Next Netflix mansion. Netflix mansions. Uh, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, well... I'm going to start by saying that I am all for um, 
Martha Wayne being given literally anything else to do besides being Thomas Wayne's wife. That is the way that they put it here is exactly what she is. I mean, for all of the eye rolling nature of Batman v Superman in that regard, Mm -hmm. the fact that Martha was actually made as an important part of Bruce's life, that's probably the first time it's Mm -hmm. always about Thomas. Mm -hmm. And he's always talking about missing his father and she gets left out like a Disney princess's mother. (laughs) yeah basically even like in crime alley you know sometimes thomas is the one to kind of step in front and protect them and sometimes thomas is the one who try to say no here's my wallet don't hurt us so it's always thomas doing everything right well and and i guess part of that is because it was 1939 Mm -hmm. you know yeah and so the the man the husband the father would intervene in the original which we actually just covered on the last married with comics (laughs) um issue 33 has the original the first telling of his origin story his parents don't have names in the origin story no they do not and his dad does try to get between them and the robber and he gets shot Mm -hmm. and then the robber shoots his mom because i think because she's screaming she's she's making noise yes yeah that that sounds very 1930s Mm mm-hmm the guy's got to got to be tough, got to protect my family, and the woman's just going to be hysterical. Uh. And that, what that leads to the, just adding to the tragedy of it, with that level of chauvinistic mentality, the idea of the criminal actually murdering both of them, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, r- murdering a woman would have been, it's, that would have taken a degree of s- sinisterness. <laughs> Or callousness. Yeah, it would take a particular level of callousness in order to do that at mm -hmm. that time. And at which point, it makes me wonder then, why then did they leave the child alive as a witness? Yeah. Yeah, Well, Well, because otherwise there'd be no Batman. Right, but uh, but sometimes (laughs) some things are a bridge too far. Oh, killing a child. You've already killed a woman, and not only that, but this kid's parents, so don't kill the kid, too. It's really, I I think, and I'm sure Andrew Vax could probably correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure that usually when it comes to robberies, um, the understanding is that murdering them is just going to complicate matters, and and they tend not to then try to murder people, because that just makes it that much worse for them if they get caught. Right. Yeah, you you go from a mugging to first-degree murder because you went out with the intention to rob with a gun. Especially in the 30s, where if you were arrested for murder, you were going to die in the electric chair. Yeah. Within, like, a week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And in New New York? Because it would have been in Manhattan, Manhattan. so... Yep. Hmm. That said, I'm just going to reach here on this shelf right here and look at, oh, look, it's a book on sociological theory. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I am actually going back to the university next semester to uh, finish my social degree. So, and I was very disappointed to learn that with that degree that the positions of investigative sociologists have apparently all been filled by imaginary people. <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool if it was a thing? Well, of course it would be cool if it was a thing. This would all be cool. This is improbable. I like what Vax is trying to do. Now, mind you, if it ultimately leads to that's why she and, and Thomas were murdered, I will chuck this book across the room. I am telling you now. Okay. <laughs> because that level of tinkering with the Bat mythos, I think that's that it's overstepping okay. your uh, mandate there. I see. In order to... Yeah. Al- in order to, giving um, 
Martha a bit of a backstory. That's always been fair game. They've always given Thomas. Yeah, there's always sure. been stories like this. So this is neat. I don't buy it for a second. <laughs> I, I do not buy that um, <laughs> that she decides to go all Spencer and Mrs. King on uh, on child pornographers. It it just it seems to be a bit improbable. I understand why he's doing it because he's trying to, he's making this thesis on and trying to tie it in with Batman and. It's ironic, yeah. though, that he issues genetic uh, factors, but is accidentally making the case that that Batman's vigilantism may be um, may run in the family. And we know that Batman's vigilantism was strongly propelled by what he witnessed as a child. So then, does does this imply that Martha had something that she had in her childhood that caused her to be a quote unquote investigative sociologist? Well, that's the other thing, and I don't want to belabor this point too much because ultimately, Vax does good work. Yeah, Rega- definitely. Regardless of what I think about the the various criminology theories he's using, which I will just say I I I disagree with the line of reasoning he's using. the the ca- The causal link between being abused and becoming a criminal is has not been determined. There are usually the usually when you are abused in a, a regular situation like this, there are several other things going on, any of which could have ha- right. could have a determination on that. That said, rooting out child abusers is an end in and of itself that we should devote as many resources as we possibly can, mm-hmm. and not yeah. because we're trying to save the future from criminals, but because children are being abused. Yeah, yeah, and. And for that, I tip my hat to Vax. And I like that, I still like that he is using criminology theories in order to push, to put forward the idea and give people resources in order to go and look up and make up their own minds on such things. Mm-hmm. I agree. So kudos to him. Yeah, I mean, of all the yeah. causes to champion and to devote mm-hmm. one's life to, I mean, I follow Andrew Vax on Twitter, and every tweet that he posts is a, some factoid about child abuse. And it's deeply mm-hmm. depressing, but. Someone has to do that work, and I yeah. commend him mm-hmm. for for doing that work. Agreed. It's almost like uh, Alfred's father. The the words that he said to Alfred when he was younger, I could almost see that almost being Vax's guiding light. It, even if there's only one man, then that man must stand alone. Just like the, some of the things that Vax has done in his life so far, he's done more at his own risk. I mean, hats off to Mister Andrew Vax. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I'm trying to find it in the scripty bits now, the you are what you do, is that not what he says in Christian Bale's Batman? He says it's not it, It's not something that defines us, it's what we do. It's, it's an existentialism No, idea, I'm just saying, but, but it's... I don't remember the line. It, it's something along those lines, and I wonder mm-hmm. if that's kind of where he got that from. This I remember is, him saying that this predates. to... Oh, this is before this? Yeah, this was, this oh, was right. 1990. Never mind. So maybe the new movie got it from here. From him, there. yeah. This it's, a, it's a pretty close parallel there. To the is. line from the movie and then well, that you are what you do. He's espousing behaviorism with that. True. Talking about, True. And that's that's a classic definition boiled down to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I've, I've learned enough theories in different areas of study that I usually am of the thought that it's going to be a mixture of theories. I mean, some are stronger than others, but, you know, yes, the behaviorism, but like you said, there are going to be a million other factors in there, you know, other environmental factors, other things that have gone on in their lives, head injuries. I mean, 
there's just so much, and that's what makes it so hard to predict. And you know, and, gen- and I'm and even as a sociologist type person, I'm saying that the gen- genetics has been shown to be a factor. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's a crime gene that you get. Yeah, I know my family. Uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of alcoholics in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that reason, I tend to stay away from alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. Same. Um, because of my genetic predisposition to an addictive personality, I have to kind of curb my behavior. Right. And plus, there's also the societal, the social forces aspect, too. I mean, this usually goes with poverty. Poverty and crime tend to correlate. All of these things can go on. And when we're talking about, like, social situations that can allow these sorts of people to gather below the radar... Which wouldn't be able to happen if these if places like the projects in Baltimore, for example, mm-hmm. or, or in Columbus, Ohio, off of like short north, uh, various places. Uh, nobody goes into those places because they're they're dangerous. they're dangerous, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so people can live amongst dangerous people and do awful things. Right, and that's able to continue because of that. It's and no it, one goes in to stop it. it so it's, long and the short of it is, is there is no one answer to any of these questions, which is exactly. very sad. Yeah. Which is why yeah. you, which is why you have to approach it from every angle like this. Mm-hmm. It's like you were saying that it's a mul- it's a multitude of theories. I mean, approaching it from this angle while other people are approaching it from different angles will lead to some notes being compared and possibly new truths will come out of it. Yeah. Anyway, that went deep. <laughs> move on to the next scene. Chapter ten, scene two. It was a long time before the child stopped crying, but when he did, it was a fully focused adult who took his place. The seated figure surged to his feet, oblivious to the contrast between the Batman costume and Bruce Wayne's blandly handsome face. He stalked over to the giant computer, his mouth set in a straight line. He ran page after page of his mother's journal through an optical disk scanner watching as each page was converted to computer-readable type and simultaneously pulled into one of the huge machine's 90-gigabyte parallel hard drives. Then he rapidly typed a series of commands. I think I got 90 gig on my phone. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is 1990, man. <laughs> as a quick aside, the novelization of Star Trek II, they talk about the computer space in that hilarious... The Genesis machine apparently is less than a terabyte, so... Oh my goodness. Alright. Bruce searches the computer's databases for all of the names mentioned in his mother's journal. Each name fell into a pattern. Deceased, homicide, gunshot. Missing, presumed dead. Deceased, suicide, suspicious circumstances, and so forth. Until one name comes up. Whereabouts unknown... Last information indicates residents in Udon Kai, a country in Southeast Asia with no age of consent for sexual intercourse. A summary of all the names comes to Names, 77. Deceased, 71. Missing, presumed dead, 3. Whereabouts unknown, 2. Whereabouts known, 1. Only three of them may still be alive. Only one of them for sure. Bruce asks Alfred if any of the men knew Martha knew that Martha was on their trail, and Alfred says, oh, yes, they knew quite well. Bruce turns back to the computer and types, case number one, the case of his parents' murder. The gun used to kill them has never been recovered. A perpetrator was apprehended and died resisting arrest. The Waynes had been shot seven times with a 9mm with non-regulation ammunition, and the killer's name was Joe Chill. 
Pain throbs in Bruce's head, and he commands himself to follow the trail of thought. He looks for known associates of Joe Chill. There are none. Batman waits for the trembling in his hands to disappear, then continues his computer search. There have been 77 inquiries from the GCPD regarding the murder of his parents, and another 31 from the media. Inquiries outside assignment for the media? None. Inquiries outside assignment for the police? One. A Lieutenant Alexander Horton, GCPD, Commander, Sex Crimes Unit. Batman asks, Why would the head of the Sex Crimes Unit be asking about the hunt for my parents' murderer? Alfred encourages him to keep searching. Batman commands the computer to cross-index Lieutenant Alexander Horton to Martha Wayne. Searching. Please wait. Lieutenant Alexander Horton had seven verified meetings with a woman named Barbara Jane Slocum. This catches the attention of Alfred and Bruce, because they were so surprised to see a woman's name in Martha Wayne's journal. The computer states that Barbara Jane Slocum is dead by suicide. Bruce commands the computer to bring up the information regarding the autopsy. Nothing stands out until they come to the name of the investigating officer, Lieutenant Alexander Horton. Ignoring Alfred's involuntary gasp from behind him, Batman types, Bank Records, Barbara Jane Slocum. Within seconds, the computer had told a truth that had been hidden from human eyes for decades. Currency transfers from a bank in Udon Kai to Barbara Jane Slocum, ranging from twenty-five dollars to $100,000, each transfer preceding a meeting between her and Lieutenant Horton. Alfred mutters, how brazen. Bruce replies, not so much. All the transfers were done in the pre-computer age, and before banks had to report currency transactions of 10000 or more like they have to do now. Alfred suggests the IRS. Bruce turns back to the computer and soon finds that all of Barbara Jane Slocum's transactions had been reported as gifts from her uncle, William X. Malady. William X. Malady is also the one person the computer identifies as still alive. Alive and living in Udon Kai. As far as Lieutenant Horton ever reported, his income never exceeded his police paycheck. Now that Bruce has found the trail, the other pieces are easy to find. A few years back, Horton purchased a Cadillac convertible, a 40-foot cabin cruiser, a condo on the ninth hole of a golf course in Florida, and his gambling losses averaged more per year than his entire police salary. Within weeks after each currency transfer to Slocum, some significant event had been recorded in Martha Wayne's journals. The raid on a kiddie porn factory that had been planned for months failed. The inhabitants had cleared out the night before. A witness prepared to testify against a pedophile ring had been thrown from the roof of a government building in downtown Gotham. Suitcases full of evidence against a child prostitution syndicate had disappeared from the police evidence locker. The last currency transfer, and the biggest, had been two weeks before an event that tipped the balance in favor of the child sex merchants, an event that had never been connected to the secret war raging in the underground, the killing of Martha Wayne. The computer screen's paper-white glow filled the back cave, but the man who sat before it saw only a red haze. So, we got motive along with means and opportunity now. Yes, that is. that are the three things that you need. And you had mentioned earlier about if this led to yeah. the reason why they were killed, and uh, yeah. I, 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 it is a big... Probably like one of the biggest creative liberties I think any Batman writer has taken. I think DC gave him a little leeway. I'm going to ask him about it. In terms of it being used as a motive for the Wayne's murder, my argument would be 
while I'm not a fan of the Joe Chill version of the Batman origin, I do myself prefer that the Waynes were killed by an act of random violence. Me too. Right. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just do, and I, I think a lot of people do. But if you're going to go the route with Joe Chill, mm-hmm. then why not give them some kind of a background as to what happened then? Yeah, you I know? mean, I was speaking in hyperbole when I said I was going to throw the book. I mean, it's obvious that that's <laughs> what's happening here, and uh, I have to be super angry fan defending of him. Yeah, it, it absolutely works for this universe that he's created. Right. I think so, too. Yeah. And that it works on this. I don't. It's not my favorite, but... Yeah. Whatever. You know, it's just a different it's just a different kind of way of telling a story. Mm-hmm. Not like a personal attack on Batman fans. No. You know, or anything like that. Oh no. It was just him using Batman as a as a vehicle for his uh, his life's work and I gotta you know, yeah, like you said, I when I first read this, I'm like, Ugh, Martha was the target all along. It kind of pulled me back a little bit, but at the same time, like, the, okay, this is Vax's book. This is not canon. This is just a, another version of the story. And no matter what, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think yeah. that's a good way to approach it. And I got all kinds of stuff to say, but the, you'll have to have us on again toward the end. Because most of the <laughs> stuff I have to say about the book overall, I have I've, I put a lot of thought into the effect of various effectiveness of using Batman as the means to tackle this problem. I would love to have you guys back. <laughs> Well, that's good. If she if she would have just said no, she would have been honest. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she would have been honest. <laughs> that would be kind of curious how Superman would have handled such a thing. How's well, it depends his... on who you ask. How's, how yeah. Superman would have handled what? What his parent like if his parents had been killed? There's an Elseworlds story called uh, Speeding Bullets by J.M. Demetrius, and it's an Elseworlds story where Cal El's uh, rocket ship lands in the, at Wayne Manor. And and Thomas and Martha raised him as their son, Bruce. I remember hearing of this. And during the the origin story, he uh, looks up and his heat vision picks that moment in order to turn on. So he actually melts the guy's face off. Oh, boy. (laughs) We wind up getting a much more brutal Batman from this. Interesting. It's it's one of my favorites. I would read that. There's also Injustice. Injustice, yes. Where you see how Superman would react to something similar, yeah. at least. And it's not mm-hmm. good! <laughs> it's not yeah. good! You don't want to get on Superman's bad side. You don't want You don't want to flip that switch. He's got a long, a long slow fuse that burns, but man, if you get it going... It's not going it, to end well be good. Yeah, no. There's an Alan Moore story called For the Man Who Has Everything, which is a story that... It's a good story. It is, and it deals with exactly what you're talking about, and it was probably the first story to do so. Oh, where Superman actually gets to let loose on someone yeah, because um, Mongol is tough enough to take a Superman, but it, we're getting a little off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> It's hard to talk about Batman without mentioning Superman, because they are best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the favorite image I have in my head is of whenever Superman has to fly Batman somewhere, and they're getting up in the atmosphere, and it's getting cold, and he has to wrap him up in his cape. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bat baby. Like, I was just going to say, like a little bat baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to find... There's a guy um, who draws little cartoons of Batman and Superman. I'll have to find it and send you a couple of my favorites. Ooh, um, yeah. yes. 
there's a recurring one where Superman has nightmares of Batman and he'll like wake up crying or wake up in a fetal <laughs> position sucking his thumb and it's wonderful. That's adorable. <laughs> I would love to read that. That sounds great. <laughs> okay, so probably my biggest issue I have with all of this is imagine the the year of the crime, the year of the murder. Captain Gordon, maybe at this point, Lieutenant Gordon, going up to the butler and saying, did the Waynes have any enemies? Do you know of anyone who might have wanted to hurt them? Oh, I know where she's and going with this. Gordon <laughs> and Alfred just rolls away the papers and tucks it into his bedpost and says, not at all. Yeah. I do not know. I have to save this for Master Bruce when he's of age. <laughs> but I do not believe that they had any enemies so right. that's my biggest problem that one, with this. The good the job that that one slipped r- went way right over my head. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. I, I was lied to the police. I was too busy like looking at all of these civil rights violations that he's doing. <laughs> I mean, he's hacked into literally everywhere. Fair point. But yes. That, I mean, he's able to get hospital records, uh, mm. bank transactions, IRS reports at the. I can't even get a copy of my IRS uh, <laughs> 1040 from last year without jumping through a hoop. Bruce pushes one button, and there, somebody from uh, from 20-odd years ago is... Information in the Sunshine Act, my ass. And, re- and ready to be cross-indexed with obscure things. Like, how did he... How did he get his mother's journals ready to cross-index already? He must have used his file from his file. from that earlier episode. I was going to point out the style of searching that he has to do. Because he's, it's almost as if the back computer is kind of running on DOS. He's yet. doing a Lexus Nexus search, is yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. It's I, like, what are these slashes? Why colons? The, What's we, going on? There was here? the internet. There wasn't Google. I didn't when this have to do out. this as a child. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I would come inside from recess five minutes early with another student to help our teacher set up Oregon Trail because it was computer lab time, and we had to go in and like type all this stuff in. Yeah. So, yeah, some of this uh, brought back some memories. That game is the shit. I love Oregon generations Trail. Generations of people. Yeah. Yes, that, generations from, of people have played that game. Gen X down to millennials, to millennials. have all played And I Oregon played Trail. the old, like, the greeny yep, version yep. of that game and the newer updated one for, you know, our Windows XP or whatever it was at the, the time. The thing is, is I was stupidly good at that game. Well, you have to start uh, as the banker. You start as the banker and you load up on um, salt. A- assault and ammunition, yeah. and then you just get good at hunting. So I, I didn't get the whole jokes about dying of dysentery because I never died of dysentery. I always got to the the end because mm-hmm. I was cheating. But I think what this means is we need to start an Oregon Trail podcast, but right now we're on Lane's podcast. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm here for it. I love Oregon Trail. I would love to play that game again. For a short time, Facebook actually had, or some company using Facebook, um, had a little Oregon Trail game that was so cutely animated, and I loved it, and it was like one of the better free versions of Oregon Trail I'd ever seen, and then it was... It went away. Oh. I think maybe they maybe had some copyright issues. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think like an ephemeral can, mist. You can still find the original around with a little bit of searching. Because you can online. you can play the original Zork text based games for freezies oh my on the internet. 
I would imagine you could find the yeah. original Oregon Trail, mm-hmm. too. You can try to play the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text-based game. Didn't if, there was one. Oh, if you're a masochist, you can, oh, okay. <laughs> you can play that game. <laughs> well, space is 365 degrees. How do you tell it where you want to go? Well, especially when it has Douglas Adams' sense of humor <laughs> and love of, of syntax jokes. So, it's... It, picture how terrible it. Zork is when you're like trying to say go left. I see no left here. No, go left. Leave the room. You are not. You do not have you're the. You're not room. in a room. Listen, you. <laughs> Listen. Listen, Tuts. Listen, Tuts. My grandma had a like an old TV with feet. You know the ones where you turn the knob and have to wait about two minutes for the little dot to come into a picture. You know the beautiful old yep. TV ones where you can feel the static electricity. Yeah. You know, crackling from a foot away, and my games. I would play on that. I would have a Pitfall, Frogger, and Pong, and some and some Pac-Man. But I I raids quit that a few times. Uh, Atari twenty six hundred. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Old yep. school. That was. Yeah. Frogger and Cubert were my games on the twenty six hundred. Yeah. I started off with I think it was a Nintendo N sixty four maybe one of those. No, I think eh, yeah something like that. I played a lot of NES. That was probably yeah, the game I played the most yeah. games on. But That's some good shit. My brother and I worked out a lot of sibling rivalry with some Mario Kart. <laughs> nice! Oh, the first Mario Kart for the NES is still the best Mario Kart. Is Fight it? me. Yes. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the day that he had, like, you know, because this was pre-internet where you could go on and, and really find all the cheats and things like that. And we were playing Rainbow Road on the uh, 64, I believe it was. Nintendo 64, mm-hmm. and you know, you ha- we had it down so you accelerate it at the right time so you do this little zoom start. Well, one of the uh, one or the other of us did the little zoom start and started going over that first hill, but kind of went you know went off course and ended up flying off into space, waiting for the little cloud guy to pick us up. But instead of that happening, the person landed on the track about halfway up the track oh. and i'm like you motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> you you just jumped the track and yeah yeah wow so with that reaction i'm guessing it was probably him who did it so this is bringing back some deep-seated rage in me. <laughs> so after that it was always trying to find that sweet spot where you could go off the the hill and fly over and uh land on the track that's, that's crazy. Awesome. No, I did not know that that was a thing. Now I'm trying to remember, did NES even have Mario Kart, or am I thinking Super no- Nintendo? Oh, it might have been SNES. Whichever. Super the, Nintendo, Nintendo, Super? I've played that on so many systems now. I have no idea. I, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a PlayStation gal myself. Me too. I've had every iteration of a PlayStation. Me too. So I started with three, now I have four, and I actually just started the... Uh, PS4 Spider-Man last night, so oh, I found myself yeah. for going to sleep. Oh, it's so it works. good! That is the best game so good. that's not called um, Red Dead Redemption Right, too, I am but. a Red Dead Redemption junkie. It was so weird, like, after playing Arkham Knight for a solid month, mm-hmm. going to Spider-Man, I'm like, oh, daytime. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Oh, Bright at least, colors. At least the controls won't be a problem. It's pretty similar to... Is are, it so? It's, I think so. 
the, yeah, not too bad. Like f- to Arkham or to the previous um, Spider-Man. To Arkham, uh, or the the Arkham City controls were almost identical to it. I thought. Yeah, it's not too bad. There's one though, like where I want to block with Batman, but it doesn't do that with Spider-Man. So I keep getting my ass handed to me. But once I get back into the uh, into the right controls, but, whenever I yeah. go back and forth between Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto. I keep trying to make my horse break the wrong way, but uh-huh. in Red Dead Redemption, when you hit that trigger, you shoot someone. <laughs> or your horse. Slightly different. I keep trying Slightly to different. whistle for my car. All right. All right. The last scene. Chapter 10, scene three. Three hours later, Bruce Wayne and Alfred sat across from each other in the sunken living room of Wayne Manor. Suddenly, Bruce got to his feet and began pacing. All my life, Alfred. All my life, I have wondered why. Why my parents were killed. Why such horrors exist. In honor of my parents, I devoted my life to fighting crime. But you know what? I haven't been fighting crime, old friend. I've been fighting criminals. And now I know they're not the same. I'm not Bruce Wayne, whoever that is. That's not me. For so long, I've wondered why I come alive only as the Batman. Alfred, now I know. Bruce Wayne is a hollow man. A convenient disguise, that's all. The Batman is a warrior. The pacing man suddenly halted, spinning back on one heel and bringing both arms down to trail against his path. A martial arts blocking maneuver beyond the comprehension of Bruce Wayne. The man faced his old friend squarely, his voice deepening with conviction. I am a warrior. From a warrior descended. My mother gave birth to Bruce Wayne, but her work, her life, gave birth to Batman. Her death only speeded the process. Master Bruce, I... The criminal underworld has always feared me, the Batman interrupted. For good reason, perhaps. From this moment on, what they need to fear is my mother. The completion of my mother's work. Alfred nods gravely, saying that Bruce's mother knew he'd have her journals someday, and what effect they might have on him. In fact, the effect is why Alfred waited so long to give him the journals. Bruce tells him that he did the right thing. Then Alfred interrupts, saying that there is one more thing he must give him, a message from his mother. He leaves the room, returning with the parchment scroll tied with the black ribbon. He hands it to Bruce, who carefully removes the ribbon and opens the scroll. The scroll reveals Japanese pictographs, and below are some words in English. It is a haiku that Martha wanted Bruce to have before he walks the path marked for him. Bruce Wayne looked at the parchment, but it was the Batman who listened. Warrior, heed this. When you battle with demons, aim not at their hearts. Well then. (laughs) What else are you supposed to aim at then? Like their heads? Do either of you read the Dark Tower series? Oh yeah. Oh my god, yes. It's the only Stephen King I've ever read and I loved it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, So that part about like, when you kill, aim not at their hearts. I kill with my heart, mother. <laughs> I do not aim with my hand. I aim with my mind. Oh yeah. A man who aims with his hand has forgotten, forgotten the, the face, face of his face father. Of his father. <laughs> I love those books. So in much. this one, just 
I almost feel bad making jokes about this, but that's what we do. Um, that's why because, you do. Or, <laughs> no, I mean, I just get the idea of it, of him sitting there and he, Bruce is reading the thing. He's like, oh, bloody hell, the scroll. <laughs> that leaves the room and has to go through the same elaborate thing as before. You know, from, from a different place. This is in the kitchen somewhere. And he's like, has to kick different parts of the floorboards and something comes up. And it's brilliant. <laughs> He has to go up to the roof and, like, like change one little <laughs> tile. Wave around the lightning rod and hope. Oh, I'm sorry, Master Bruce. I was supposed to have given this to you when you were 20. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> Ten years ago? I feel like Bruce slash Batman is taking this withholding of information rather well. Yeah. Well. You know... Someone has a penchant for withholding information from literally everybody he works with. But that doesn't mean he wants it withheld from him. No, no, that would be the exact opposite of what he usually wants. Yeah, yeah I know. He doesn't handle that very well. No, but... It's Alfred. This is It is Alfred, and, and Alfred, I think, gets a free pass. Alfred, I think, gets a free pass for pretty yeah. much anything. Alfred is it's the only person... He draws little bats in the peanut butter. Yes, exactly. little bats in the peanut butter. Alfred is the only person who could get away with pulling something like this and get forgiven for it. I don't think even Dick could do it. No, God, no. If Dick withheld information from him, are you kidding me? Uh-uh. Yeah. He would have been Nightwing a long long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Kicked him out of the bat nest and made him fly on his own. Yeah. I mean, Barbara and Batwoman withhold stuff from him all the time. And it but pisses him off It does, the but that's because it's like, turnabout's fair play. Let me, let me list the following crossovers in which you did the exact same thing. Let's just start with No Man's Land yeah. and then moving on into one. Batman uh, Murderer Batman Fugitive and then again in Court, no, court of Owls. I was just going to say Court of Owls. I'm and learning. Then- <laughs> yeah, it's a long list. But no, that that's a good point. He is withholding information from Batman and for years and about something that is very sensitive to Batman or to, to Bruce and, and his parents, especially well, his mom. I, I, this Batman especially is being very philosophical and thoughtful about the idea because he's actually achieved something that very few Batmans in any given universe ever get to. An actual, real understanding for why his mother mm. was mother and father were killed sure. and a person to go punch about it. Yeah. So... Batman likes to punch his problems whenever he can. Well, yeah, yeah, that's and that's just a that's exactly what I love about this book is that it's providing Batman with a problem he cannot punch and it is yeah. affecting him. Mm-hmm. He is being less he, in the book up to this point he is making mistakes, it, one of which even led to the death of a of a goon because he was letting his emotions get to him and cloud his his actions. Right. You know, he was acting more violent than he normally would. He, like, instead of just uh, defending those two nurses and maybe breaking a bone, he gives the dude a compound fracture. Uh, yeah, he doesn't catch the guy going over the roof. Uh, so I think he feels that his anger, like he's learning some of this with going around with, with Deborah Kane and finding these things that he can't deal with. So he's taking it out on people that he can punch. But that's kind of a misplacement of some of his anger. Mm -hmm. And there was a line earlier in the book, I can't remember which chapter, but it was really, it it shows the potential of this storyline really changing who Batman is on a fundamental level. And it was, the line was something long, I can't remember the beginning of it, but it said, with him doing all this stuff, it was challenging his sense of justice. Yeah. Mm. And that's a big fundamental shift in him as a, as a character. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So if he, like all along, he's going for justice, he's fighting justice. And when he has that sense of justice challenged, like I could see that potentially just taking all the air out of his sails and like either feeling that this isn't something I can punch, this this is too big, this is something that's always going to be here, so I'm just wasting time. But luckily, he now has someone he can punch. (laughs) Deborah Kane. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, Master Bruce, you have you've learned all of the wrong lessons. Get back here. I forgot that her name was Deborah Kane because there's too many Canes. Because there's one Kane he's related to. There's another Kane he's not related to, but who is still in the Bat family. And now there's a third Kane. And there's Bob Kane. And then there's Bob Kane. Who we don't. Who helped Bill Finger? Helped Bill Finger Batman. Batman. <laughs> I was standing very close by at the time. And then you have uh, what's his face who played Alfred. Um, 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 what's his name? Oh shoot! Oh, oh I... Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Why did you say that name? Have you guys seen the previews for the new Batwoman series? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, I... oh my god, Ruby she, Rose I... looks great. She looks great. Yeah, she she looks like a Wayne. She uh-huh. yeah, she's I'm got the arrogance. She's got the confidence. She's got a good look. She does a really good American accent. I love Batwoman as a character. She's I been great since, especially since the New Fifty Two and yes. and on. From she's there gotten very and, good and in Rebirth. Uh, Batwoman's neat. It's for like if you want Batman but a girl, then you read Batwoman. If you want Batman and boobs, yes, I was gonna say boobs, but I don't know what your rules are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Bat- Batwoman's great. I know too little about about Batwoman, so I'm looking forward to uh, mm-hmm. to learning some more about. Of course, like how closely they stick to her character on what 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 is it, the CW or whatever it is. Um, I don't know, but it, I'm sure it'll prompt me to read more of her stuff on DC. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd recommend. The, when, if, I don't know how long, how recent the app goes to, but I think it has pretty much all Batman. Uh, the Rebirth Detective Comics series, where that, I don't know which one it starts, but. Actually, yeah, I just read some of that last night. Oh, I love that. Where it's, it's where Batman, Batwoman, and Tim, and. Is that with Clayface? Uh, and Clayface, and all of. This Rebirth had Gotham and Gotham Girl. Yeah, that's oh. Batman. That's the Detective Comics oh. that was out at the same time. Gotcha. Has, okay. Has a different. And I'm curious to see. You'll have to let me know what you think about the Gotham Gotham Girl story and and how that goes forward. Tim, I didn't read that one, so I don't know. Tom King is rather polarizing. Mm-hmm. I actually just it was like a six series run, I believe, a six issue run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually did finish that and. At first, when I saw Gotham and Gotham Girl, I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. Really? <laughs> they did a good job. That was my first reaction, I which st- I think is why I didn't really get around I reading still it. Like it would, he could, I was like, how is he going to get out of this? Oh, right. He's got Superman on speed dial. <laughs> Superman, please stand down. <laughs> yeah, I did tear up a little bit when uh, Gotham Girl was kind of go- dealing with her issue, her loss, and just was uh, basically psychotic for a while, and Batman kind of pulls her into a hug, and she just says, I don't feel good. And he's like, I know. And I'm like, damn it! She got me right the feels! <laughs> well, cool. Fun fact for Chapter 10. In Japanese, haiku are traditionally printed in a single vertical line while haiku in English often appear in three lines parallel to the three phrases of Japanese haiku. Previously called hoku, 
haiku was given its current name by the Japanese writer Masaoka Shiki at the end of the 19th century. I felt like such a nerd the day I found out that when we write haiku, we do it in the 575 because the syllables are as close as we can get to what a Japanese haiku is、mm-hmm. because the、mm-hmm. languages are vastly different. I love poetry. I'm a poetry geek. Do they have to, does it have to be about nature? Or is it? It doesn't、pretty? have to be, but they typically are.、Okay. Mm-hmm. Anything else to, you guys want to unpack about this? One final thing that I wanted to say about this. About the book is that we, we being the royal we, the nerd we, talk a lot about what you can change about Batman and still have him be Batman.、Mm-hmm. And one of the things that a lot of the other podcasters that we've been talking to,、uh, kind of on, along those lines, argue that you can change a lot about Batman and still have him be Batman. He's a very versatile character and he's rather resilient. To change. You can change a lot of things, and he's still the core essence remains the same. Look how often he changes Robins. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he goes to Robins like purses, but he just empties one out and organizes into the next one.、Um, so <laughs> This one got hit by a crowbar. Oh no, don't make fun of it. That's so sad. No, but my, my point is that we've seen Batman in comic books and on television and on the big screen and on the Radio. And this is the first time I've encountered Batman in a novel form, not, not, not as in like unique, but in the form of a novel. And、mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that Batman still translates to just the written word.、Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be in a visual medium or audio, because I mentioned radio before. But I, I really think it's interesting that Andrew Vax, I don't know if he you know, set out choosing that he wanted to do a Batman story. I think I, I sent to you, Lane, one of the questions I thought to ask him was if he found that Batman was a good vehicle for telling the kind of story that he wanted to tell. I personally、mm-hmm. kind of think he chose well. I think Batman is a really good way of telling a story about child abuse. If this is the thing that you champion, if this is the thing that you want to put a dent in with your life, and Writing a fictional story with a very popular comic book character is, is, the way, is one of the ways you're going to go about doing it, which is brilliant. I think he did a very good job. I just wish it could have been Daredevil because Daredevil, Daredevil would have been a good choice too because he's also、yeah. a lawyer, but Bruce is a philanthropist. He's got a lot of money to throw around. And if anything about Matt, we know, if we know anything about Matt Murdock, it's that he's broke. Yes. <laughs> All、yeah. of the time. I'm just saying that it, this is a. It is, it's a lot like a Daredevil story、mm-hmm. with Batman, you know, slipping up. It's a lot like the current story running through, through Daredevil where、yes. he's lost a step and bad things happen. But. All right. So Maggie is going to、uh, read the email comment that she sent to me. This is a rare case where I can have a comment from someone and then have that person read the comment on the air. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I said, Hi, Lane. Just got done listening to chapters seven and eight and wanted to drop you a line. I've very much been enjoying Vax's descriptive writing style. I'll have more to say on that when we're on the show, which may be when we're reading this. Hi, me from the future. <laughs> I agree with your instinct in the hand to glass to hand moment between Batman and the middleman. 
Batman is intensely compassionate. We know this because he's dedicated his life in pretty much every waking moment to helping people. But that compassion follows some very strict rules. Key amongst them is that it very rarely extends to criminals or villains. It makes for the relationship he has with Two-Face all the more special. Not sure how much you know about it yet, but you will. You will. It's an understandable quality given his worldview. Even though this guy says, make them pay... I don't see Batman being the kind of person who would do the whole point of contact through the prison window thing. A person who despises the evil business they're in is still actively participating in that evil. I believe he would feel compassion for the horrible things that happened to this guy in his childhood, but he wouldn't let his mask down so much to show it. Although I'm pretty sure I'm overthinking it. There's no such thing. Computer, am I overthinking this? Am I over- right. That's where I got it from. <laughs> also forever in my mind, Alfred cuts little bats into Batman's peanut butter on his sandwiches. Great episode. Looking forward to working together. Ooh, Me. I, I have a question mm-hmm. on that. Now that we've gone further and you've read more this these last two chapters, that, mm-hmm. do you feel the same way? Do you feel that this Batman... You know, as I was reading it, I was thinking that. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder... Or not I wonder... I do think that maybe this Batman would be more inclined. The Batman that I am more used to would not do something like that. Mm -hmm. But this Batman, sure. Mm -hmm. This Batman, I believe, especially considering that the whole child abuse thing, it seems to have really thrown him for a loop. And Mm -hmm. I think that finding it kind of an anchor point, even with someone who's actively engaging in this, or, or who has, regardless of his regret would probably affect this Batman pretty yeah. strongly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I really like that Vax, because we so often see thugs and henchmen and whatnot. They're just very two-dimensional. They're just there to be bruisers and, and be bad guys. But this guy, for the little part that he has in this, it has a very nuanced background that really makes him a sympathetic character, despite what he's done. And I, I don't think we see that very often in the minor Batman villains. No, not at all. No. It's it's like you were saying, the only time we ever, in Batman proper, the only time we really ever see him carrying in that capacity is either Catwoman, Two-Face, or Mr. Freeze. Or Mr. Freeze is another one I forgot. Um, Two-Face, he has a special invested interest in Catwoman. There's that romantic aspect, and Freeze is just tragic. Right, but Batman... Both him and Dent are tragic. They Mm -hmm. are. Very much so. And and the early Batman stories did do that a lot more. It was a sure. lot more about trying to reform them because there were many stories where you'd have the Penguin or somebody would serve out his term from whatever and then say, I'm going straight. And Batman would encourage him to do so. He would inevitably you know, right. go back and do mm-hmm. Penguin things. Penguin things. And he'd have to go back to jail. But, mm-hmm. but that was always important. And it was a big part of the Adam West show. Especially with Catwoman, you know, and sure. the romance and all of that. Mm-hmm. But he, he wants to be with her, but he wants her to um, renounce her evil ways first. Right. He wants to be with her, but he wants her to change for him. Well, yes. <laughs> Before you can get under this Velcro, you really need to change. <laughs> well, there's no way we're going to be able to top that, so we should let <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for for recording with me tonight. This has been a blast. Oh, thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks for this having was us. great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So we will touch base again. I'm sure this will not be the last time. No. All right. Well, that wraps it up for chapter nine and chapter ten. Uh, so next time we're going to cover chapter eleven and twelve. If, like Maggie, you would like to send a message or feedback or questions, you can reach me at 
Batman Books underscore DKP on Twitter or at DarkNightPros at Gmail. So until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Awesome. Yay! That was fun! That was. That was very fun.